You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Grant Partrick. We're going to talk about a huge topic today and one that's at the heart of the gospel. It really is central uh, to our story and to us as the people of God. We're going to talk for the next few minutes about forgiveness. We're going to talk about forgiveness. Tim Keller said, forgiveness is a test of our belief and our understanding of the gospel. And I believe that. Forgiveness is an easy concept to agree with, but a difficult command to obey, is it not? Uh, It was C.S. Lewis who said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something or someone to forgive. We're living in an interesting time, which is why I really sense the Lord wanting this message uh, today. We're living in this individualization of society where we are more connected than ever, and yet we're more lonely than ever. But the U.S. Surgeon General, maybe you saw this earlier this month, uh, released a statement saying that there is a new epidemic uh, in America, and that's the epidemic, epidemic of loneliness. He likened the impact of loneliness and being spiritually disconnected to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. It's a, it's a real problem with real consequences, and there's a real weight to it. Loneliness is defined as sadness because one has no friends or company. And the reality is, in our current culture, we are failing at building healthy, meaningful relationships. And we're suffering as a society because of it, because God designed us and wired us to live out our lives in the context of community. One of the reasons this is so, and there's many, I'm sure, but one of the reasons this is so is because we don't know how to navigate conflict in relationships. It's easier for us to hit the eject button than it is for us to do the hard, complicated work of forgiveness. Removing ourselves seems to be an easier play than working for reconciliation, We would rather avoid conflict altogether, and I'm as guilty as anyone listening. Someone wrongs us, and our response typically is, you know what, I'll just leave. Someone at your gym starts doing something crazy, and you're like, you know what, I'll just find a new gym. One of your friends starts hassling you or gossiping about you, or you hear that they did something behind your back, and our response is, you know what, I'll just leave. I'll just go get a different friend group. Uh, I'll just unfollow them and eradicate them from my life. Uh, I'll just go to a different church because someone offended me at that last church. Or I'll just get into, into a different marriage because I was, I was, um, there was conflict in the last one. And we change our environment. But the problem is that even when we change our environment, the problem still persists. That's because wherever you go, there you are. Right? Any relationship with a human being is going to have conflict and is going to require forgiveness because we're sinful people. And I think what we're learning now is even if we isolate so far as to just be by ourselves, we still are offended and there's still conflict because we're sinful people. And so we have to learn how to forgive if we want to cultivate healthy meaningful 
relationships. It was Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, who said this, and I love it, a happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. And all the married people said, amen. So we're going to look at God's word today, particularly in Matthew 18, to hear what Jesus says about the power and importance of forgiveness. In this chapter, Jesus is addressing how we are to handle relationships. And before we get into this chapter, I just want to give a a gentle, um, pastoral, loving warning, okay? When we start talking about this, when we get into this text, there's going to be something in your mind that automatically triggers subconsciously, and you're going to begin to think, I wish so-and-so could hear this message. I wish my boss could hear this message because he needs to learn about forgiveness. I wish my children could learn about forgiveness. I, I can't wait to send them the podcast. I wish my parents could learn about forgiveness. Even someone after the first gathering came up to me and said, oh, that was such an amazing gathering. I really wish I could have had so-and-so hear this message. And I'm like, That's all, there's a lot of truth to that, but I don't want us to miss the reality that first and foremost, this is for us today. Let's not delegate the conviction of God's word to everybody else, but let's live under it ourselves. Because, you know, Jesus says earlier in Matthew, he says, why do you seek the speck that's in your brother's eye when you got a log in your own eye? First take the log out of your own eye and then go and help your brother. Because what's true is to be a student of everyone else's sin while being a oblivious to your own will set you up for a series of shallow and fragile relationships that won't be able to stand the smallest of offenses. And a lot of our society is living in that zone right now. Our relationships don't last because they're so shallow that the minute we're offended, we just bail and eject. But there is another way. So Jesus, right before the text that we're going to be in, starting in verse 21, Jesus is addressing conflict and telling us how to resolve and navigate conflict in verses 15 through 17. And he says, if someone has offended you, uh, step one, go to him alone. Like, what a crazy thought that is. Like, someone offended me and you just want me to go talk to them, like in person, in the flesh, go talk to them? That seems like such a foreign concept in 2023. Don't run from him. Don't tweet about him. Don't post about him. Don't unfollow him. Don't gossip about him. Don't talk to everybody else about him. Don't ghost him. Just go talk to him if you've been offended. This is the Jesus way. And he says, if he listens to you, then you will have gained a brother. See, that's the heartbeat of biblical reconciliation. It's not, I'm trying to prove you wrong and one-up you, which is the current model. It's more, I want there to be reconciliation and I want to win you over. And so if you go directly to him, you might gain your brother. And if that fails, he says, go get one or two other people and go to talk to him again. Think about that, so that there's two or three witnesses there. And if that doesn't work, then tell it to the church. And if that doesn't work, then treat him as a Gentile or a tax collector. Now, in our world, we love just fast-forwarding through the first three steps to get to the fourth one. Tell me when I can just be done with them. But the first three steps are important because Jesus' heart is not that we would excommunicate people, but that we would enter into the difficult reality of fighting for forgiveness and reconciliation in our relationships. So Peter pipes up after Jesus says this, and we'll we'll pick up here in verse 21, Matthew 18. 
Peter pipes up, and you can almost always count on him to do that, and he asks a great question, and this is what he asked. Peter says in verse 18, then Peter came up and said to him, Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, before we all go hating on Peter, the the rabbinical tradition of the day said that three times was sufficient. So if you forgave someone three times, you're good. So Peter says, how often do I need to forgive a brother? Up to seven times. Now, in Peter's mind, he is stretching out grace to about the furthest he could imagine it could go. Do I go not just three times, but I'll even double that and give you a little bit more. Do I go all the way up to seven times? And Jesus responds, I say to you, not 77 times. I say to you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, in your Bible, uh, you may have a different reading there. Maybe, maybe yours says 77 times, or maybe yours says 70 times seven. For all the nerds in the room, anybody else, you can just check out for a minute. This is what we call a textual variant. Doesn't that sound exciting? Which means in the Greek manuscripts, when you go back to the original language, the smartest of people go back and read this, and some people read it as 77 times, and some people read it as 70 times seven. The difference in those, obviously, 177, one would be 490. They're like, which one is it? To be honest, I don't know. I went to seminary for seven years. I'm not sure about this one. But what I know is the point doesn't change regardless. The point is stop counting. That's the point. The point is if you're trying to count up how many times you need to forgive them until you're done forgiving them, you've missed the whole point altogether. If you're keeping score, you lose. Because keeping score is about being right. And if your whole aim is to be right, you never will reconcile and there will never be genuine forgiveness. So he says, our forgiveness is, this is what Jesus is saying, our forgiveness is not to be counted, it's to be unlimited as the people of God. The way Eugene Peterson says it in the message, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, he says, love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. If you're keeping score you are losing relationally. Then Jesus gives us this parable to expound on the idea, and we know this parable as the parable of the unforgiving servant. There's three scenes in the parable. In the beginning, verse 23, if you want to read with me, it says this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. Underline that. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. This was very common practice at the time. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, I want you to understand what's going on here. This servant had racked up a serious debt. We don't uh, talk in talents anymore. Talent now has become something we use in our vocabulary to describe a skill that you've been given. This is a talented person. Well, at the time, a talent was the highest form of currency in the ancient Roman Empire. It it was money. It was currency. That's what a talent was. Um, The annual revenue of the Herodian kingdom was about 900 talents. 
That, that's pretty crazy. So this guy had racked up a serious charge, 10,000 talents. Now that's, that's the highest number that had a name in the Greek language at the time. It would be like for us, this man owed a gazillion dollars, an incalculable amount. Daryl Bach, a brilliant scholar who's actually going to be teaching this core class on the Gospels, says in his commentary that it would take 275,000 years of labor for an average worker to pay off this debt. Think about that. So the king ordered payments to be made. And the servant fell on his knees and he cries out, have patience with me and I will pay you back everything. Now, the king knows and the man knows there's no way he could pay back everything. He can't even count all of his debt, much less come up with a plan to pay it back if he had 275,000 years or if you quadruple that. There's no way for him to pay this penalty. And it says that uh, out of pity for him, That word's the same word used in Matthew chapter nine where it says Jesus took compassion on them. It says that Jesus forgave him. Enormous debt never could be paid. The king did not say, I'll give you more time. Sounds like you need more time. The king did not negotiate a deal with him. He didn't put him on some kind of payment plan. He forgave the debt. He eliminated the debt. And I want you to understand this. He eliminated the debt at great cost to himself. 10,000 talents wasn't an ethereal idea. It was a real monetary amount that was owed to the king. And so for him to wipe the debt away did not mean he had the 10,000 talents back. It meant that he took on the cost to be able to generously wipe away this man's debt. Now, we have to find our place in the story. That, that's what parables are a lot of time. And, and believe it or not, we are not the king in this story. The king is God, and we are the servant. We have racked up an incalculable debt. The scriptures often use debt to uh, showcase and, and explain sin. You see, debt means sin, and sin oftentimes is referred to debt. And our sin was like the debt of this man. The way the psalmist writes it in Psalm 130, verse 3 says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, if you started keeping track of all my iniquities, he says, O Lord, who could stand? My debt is too great to pay. There was no way for us to repay this debt. And so when we pleaded for mercy, when we asked for compassion, when we implored him, give us patience, he did. This is the gospel. That, that he had mercy on us, but I want you to see this. He had mercy on us at great cost to himself, namely the price of his son giving his life as the sacrifice for the sins of the world. We didn't need more time. We didn't need a better negotiation. We couldn't pay it back. We needed someone to step in for us, and we got it, and his name was Jesus Christ. The scripture says that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions, our sins from us. That's pretty mind-boggling. 10,000 talents eliminated the debt. So then we turn to scene two. And it says in verse 28, but when that same servant, who was just forgiven 10,000 talents, went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 Denarii. 
And, he, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Exact same language here. Have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. So this man had just been forgiven 10,000 talents. And he leaves the king's court and he walks out and he finds another servant who owes him 100 denarii. Now one denarius, one, one denarius would be a, a day's wages. So, th- so this is a significant debt as well. 100 denarii would be three plus months salary. So I don't know about you. Maybe you got it like that. Three and a half months salary. If you owe me that, I'm probably coming knocking on your door. So, so not to belittle, some translations call this a few coins. This is a serious debt. This is three and a half months of salary. One denarii was one day's wages. And it says that he starts choking him and he's saying, pay Pay me what you owe. I just was forgiven what I owed, but you're going to pay me now what you owe me. So this man cries out the same thing. Have patience with me and I'll pay you back everything. But in the first story, the king, it says, took pity on him. He had compassion on him and he was moved with compassion. This man's response to the plea for patience and mercy and grace is not compassion, but it's greed and it's anger. And he says, put him in jail until he can pay it back. How foolish does that sound when you hear it in a parable? And yet how often in our own lives do we do the exact same thing? We receive this unending, incalculable amount of grace and forgiveness from God. And then we turn into our horizontal relationships and we refuse to offer forgiveness to those who have offended us. So one talent was worth the equivalent of 6,000 denarii. One talent was worth the equivalent of 6,000 denarii. So I, was trying, I, w- I wanted you to see a picture of what this is like. So let, let's say that this is 100 denarii. This, this is what, once the servant leaves having his debt forgiven and walks out and he finds the other servant who owes him, he owes him 100 denarii, uh, 100 days wages. But what I want you to see is that that God is, Jesus is illustrating something in the numbers he's using in this story that's meant to grab our hearts. Because what's the difference between the debt that was owed to the forgiven servant and the debt that the forgiven servant owed to the king to begin with? So if this is 100 denarii, how how many of these do you think it would take to get to what the first man was forgiven of by the king? Maybe 10? No. Maybe, maybe a few more than that. Maybe like this many. How much he was forgiven. I mean, that would be a lot. You would think if you were forgiven this much, if you had this many offenses and this many wrongs and a king came and forgave you of all of your debt, that surely you would leave there and go, okay, you just owe me a hundred denarii. I just was forgiven of that. So surely I can forgive you of this. No, it's not this amount. It's if we, if we would take this whole thing, this is 4,000 coins. Apparently there's a coin shortage again now. <laughs> this is 4,000 coins. 
So would it be 4,000 to one? No. It wouldn't just be if we had one of these buckets full of coins or two of these buckets full of coins or 10 of these buckets full of 4,000 coins each or 100 of these buckets full of 4,000 coins each. It would be the equivalent in this parable of 150 buckets poured out, each of them with 4,000 coins in it. The debt that this man was forgiven by the king, 10,000 talents, was 600,000 times greater than the debt he owed after he left the king's court and demanded payment from the other servant. Now, the reason why Jesus is saying this is because if we don't understand this, we'll never be able to forgive. Your your comprehension of the gospel will determine your ability to offer grace and mercy to other people. You cannot give what you have not first received. And so think about this. Think about this times 150 more buckets. And if you went, man, I had all that debt. Think about the weight of that debt. Think about the burden of that debt. And if in a moment, this is what Jesus is saying, the debt that you owed, the sin that you had piled up was not 600,000. That's just the biggest number we could imagine. It's incalculable. And yet at the cross, you were forgiven of all of that, that you pleaded for mercy from the king with all this debt that you had stacked up. And Jesus didn't sit there and go, let me see how much it is. You know, that, that, that's 265, 266. You're going to need a few more years to pay this off. No, he just went, I'm going to offer payment for that. And it's going to come through the blood of my son. And if you receive that, your debt is not delayed. It's forgiven. It's eliminated. It's eradicated. You now owe nothing. Your bill, your balance is zeros. Like, do you understand that when you think about the gospel? I think for some of us, we think, well, we're pretty good people. We live a pretty good life. I mean, I know I probably got like, maybe it's like this to this. And Jesus is going, no, until you understand the, the unbelievable, lavish grace that was poured out on you in Jesus Christ, you will have nothing in your tank to be able to offer people. And so I want you to get the picture today. Because if you walk through this lens to get to this debt, you will walk into this relationship with mercy and grace and be able to extend forgiveness. But if you do not walk through that door, you won't have anything to offer them. Our ability to offer forgiveness hinges on our understanding of how much we have been forgiven. So hear me, I'm not belittling this. I'm not saying like, look how much God has forgiven you. So just because that person said that or did that or wronged you, whatever, just get out, just rub some dirt on it and get over it. No, this was a serious debt. This three and a half months salary. This, this hurts, this stings, this could mark you for decades. And if, if, if the message is just get over it, because look how much you, you'll never be able to forgive anyone. The way you'll be able to forgive someone is when you have received this lavish, unearned, unmerited grace from God and you step out from under that burden that you were trying to figure out how to pay were you to have 275,000 tries and you go, 
I can breathe. And now that I can breathe, I can offer grace to those around me. Until we understand how much we have been forgiven, we will never truly be able to forgive. There's a Yale theologian named Mirosol Wolf who commented on this. He said, forgiveness flounders when I exclude the enemy, the person who's wronged me, the person who's offended me, when I exclude them from the community of humans, meaning when I, when I expect them to be non-human, when I expect them to not be broken, when I expect them to not fail, when I expect them to not hurt me, when I expect them not to be like every other human on planet earth, forgiveness flounders. And he said, it also flounders when I myself, when I exclude myself from the community of sinners. When you understand that you're broken and they're broken, but yet your price was paid for, all of a sudden you've got some credit in your account that you can offer to other people. In the final scene, it says in verse 31, when the fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Forgiveness is serious business in Jesus's eyes and we need to take it serious. It's the only thing in the Lord's prayer that he expounded on. He came back and added more at the end of the Lord's prayer. In verse 12, he says, and as we forgive our debts, we also have forgiven our debtors. And then he comes back in verse 14 and 15 and says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will forgive you also. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive your trespasses. He's saying underneath the heart, you're either forgiven and you've accepted his grace and you're free from the burden and weight of your debt and you have something to offer or you haven't. We extend, what we extend to others is evidence of what we have received from Christ. A few practical takeaways. Number one, we've said this in a number of ways already. We forgive because we have been forgiven. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. The fuel for me being able to forgive someone else is because I realize I've been forgiven. See, the goal of the Christian life is not just to be impacted by Christ, but to become imitators of Christ. And so it's not just to learn how he lived, it's to walk like he walked, offended by nearly everybody. And yet he kept offering mercy and grace. Rehearsing the gospel you've received will give you the fuel you need to extend the gospel to those who have offended you. It says, how, how do we forgive? Well, number one, we forgive genuinely. This, the scripture says the very last part in Matthew 18 of the parable is that we are to forgive from the heart, the text says. Now, my parents were here in the earlier gathering. I grew up with three brothers, and this was in the station wagon era. Anybody remember the station wagon era? You could sit in the back, turned around, like, what? <laughs> Who made that law? You know, finally, that doesn't seem safe. We would just annihilate each other in the car. I mean, just full on fist fights, four boys, just going at it. Doesn't matter, just look at somebody the wrong way, and a fight would break out in the station wagon. And my mom, as Anytime we broke out in wrestling or fighting or whatever, she would make us all quote this verse. 
Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. And we would say it just like that. We would grit our teeth. We wouldn't look at each other. We'd be kicking each other underneath the thing so mom couldn't see it, but yet we're quoting the scripture out of our mouths. <laughs> this is not forgiveness. This is not from the heart. This is an escape from punishment was what that was. But to do what Jesus is saying, we have to attach our heart to it. It's gotta be genuine. We have to be able to forgive people from our hearts. We forgive them as we have been forgiven. And, and I know it, it can get a little tricky because maybe for some of you, you've been wrong and that there's this zone you can get in where you go, you know what? I just don't, I don't have it in myself to forgive them. And I wanna just lovingly say, well, if Christ is in you, then you do, not because of your power and your strength, because he is giving you power because he's alive in you. Number two, our motivation for forgiving others is not simply personal freedom, but rather gospel alignment. It's not just about us getting inner peace or us just getting happiness, though you will get that. When we're wronged, we, we feel angry and and there's something in us, especially in the culture we live in now, where we're so obsessed with ourselves that we go, you know what? I need to forgive them so that I can feel better. I need to forgive them so that I can get rid of my anger. I need to forgive them so this bitterness will leave me. And there's, there's truth to that. I'm not, I'm not saying there's not. You all know the famous quote, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies. But it's not limited to that for the believer. It doesn't just have self-seeking interest. It moves past that. While there will be freedom, while there will be a lifting of bitterness in your heart as you forgive those who have wronged you, there also will be a movement towards reconciliation because you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. The scripture says you are therefore now Christ's ambassadors. So we seek not only ourselves getting free from pain, but we seek reconciliation through our forgiveness. This is the biblical model that our vertical relationship with Christ has forgiven us and paid our debts. Therefore, our anger is gone. Therefore, we now can offer horizontally to people that which we receive from God. But if you never received anything from God, and you never offer anything to anybody, and you're just totally focused on getting rid of the anger, I don't think it's gonna work. You need a source outside of yourself to be able to work in yourself and propel through your life to other people. This is what grace looks like. Number three, when it comes to forgiveness, it's always your move. It's always your move. Earlier in Matthew's gospel in chapter five, we read about the account in verses 23 and 24. It says, therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come back and offer your gift. So in Matthew chapter five, who's the person who did wrong? The guy he's talking about. He's going, if you're standing at the altar about to offer your gift and you realize they got something against you, you did something to them, you should leave and go make it right with them. It's your move. And then in our text today, the guy's owed money. It's over here. It's this guy going, I took out a debt. I owe you something. I did you wrong because I'm not paying you back. So now I'm over here in this position. Surely it's this guy's job to make the first move towards forgiveness. But what Jesus is teaching us is for those who have been forgiven, 
It is always your move first. Not one time, not seven times, not 77 times, not 490 times, an unlimited amount. Why? Because I have some comprehension of the debt I have been forgiven. Therefore, my well runs real deep with grace and I can offer it again and again and again. It is not up to the scoreboard to determine who makes the next move. Well, I made the last one. They didn't really reciprocate that very well. So I'm just gonna leave it in their world. Not for the life of a believer. For sons and daughters in Christ, it is always our move. Number four, we'll end with this. Forgiveness is a promise before it's a feeling. We have so obsessed over feelings in our culture and feelings aren't bad. I'm not knocking that. They're just not ultimate. They're not as steady and sure as truth is. They change a lot. And so if you wait for yourself to feel like forgiving someone, you tell me when you get there. I, I don't really ever get there. If you're just waiting for, you know, at some point all the stars are gonna align and, and, and I'm gonna get to a place where I feel like forgiving them. You better hope you run into them in heaven. Because chances are small you're gonna wake up one day and go, you know what I feel today? I feel like I'm finally ready to forgive them. Forgiveness is first a promise before it's a feeling. Now, to just clarify a few things, to forgive someone doesn't mean that there won't be consequences. It's not what I'm saying. To forgive someone doesn't mean that your relationship will go back to exactly the way that it was before. Not what I'm saying. It doesn't even necessarily mean that you're gonna trust that person again. Although I think genuine forgiveness has some hope of reconciliation for trust in the future. Right? Moses struck the rock. He sinned. He did what God told He didn't do what God told him to do. Did God forgive him? Yes. Were there consequences? Yes. He didn't get to lead people into the promised land. They, they, they can work together. So what is forgiveness? If it's a promise, what is it? I want to give you three real simple things. Number one, it is a promise that I'm not going to keep bringing this up to you. I'm not going to keep holding this over your head. I'm not gonna keep everything. We talked about it because I did what it said earlier in Matthew. We've talked about it and I am choosing to forgive you. I'm making that decision. Therefore, every time I see you at every Christmas and every, every Thanksgiving, I'm not gonna keep beating you over the head with this same thing. I am choosing now. I'm not gonna bring this up to you anymore. That's promise number one. Promise number two, I'm not gonna bring this up to other people anymore. Meaning I am not going to build my coalition that is anti you, that makes me feel better because everybody agrees, yeah, you should be mad. I can't believe they did that to you. You, sh you, sh you should be mad about that. No, you go, number one, I'm not gonna bring this up to you anymore. I'm not holding this over your head. Number two, I'm not gonna rally the troops in alignment around my argument anymore. And number three, and maybe most important for where we are as a culture, I'm not going to keep rehearsing your offense in my mind every day. I'm not gonna bring it up to you all the time. I'm not gonna bring it up to other people about you all the time. And I'm not gonna bring it up to myself all the time. Maybe, maybe you've heard the expression before that it's time to bury the hatchet. Anybody ever heard that expression before? 
which is kind of an interesting thing. The idea, if you, if you ever, you know, I've got something here that I could really clobber you with. And, and so I, I know I could play this card, but I'm not gonna play this card. Even though I got something I could get you with, I'm not gonna get you with this. I'm gonna choose to bury it instead. And it was D.L. Moody who said, talked about the man who buried the hatchet with the handle sticking up just a little bit in case he needed it in the future. And we're often like that, aren't we? I'm gonna forgive you, but if you do this again, it's gonna be number two in my mind, not number one. And we are called to follow Christ in offering forgiveness. Lastly, and uh, I, I read so much of uh, Dr. Tim Keller's stuff leading up to this week. One, just in remembrance of his amazing life, a life well lived for the sake of the gospel. But one of his latest books was written about forgiveness. And one of the things he says, which is so interesting, is that particularly in the younger generations, there is a resistance towards forgiveness because we're so dead set on justice. We are justice people. And at face value, it seems like those two things are opposed to each other. I don't wanna forgive, I want justice, and they feel like they're opposites of each other. But in his book, what he's helping us see is that justice and forgiveness are not enemies, they're allies. They, they work together, they, they work in tandem that if what you're genuinely seeking is justice, you forgive the person and you move towards justice. And if you don't forgive them first, it's not really justice you're seeking, but vengeance that you're seeking. And so forgiveness and justice go together. And where we see that most of the people of God is on the cross. On the cross, there was justice and there was forgiveness together, not opposed to each other, but working with each other. The ability to both forgive and seek justice is evidence that you and I understand the cross. Because at the cross, there was justice, God's wrath towards sin being satisfied for those who put their faith, hope, and trust in Christ. And yet there also was forgiveness, that all of our debt that we somehow have racked up not, not just the ones you know, that we can count, past, present, future, all of them. One price, one time for all time through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you have understood what you've been forgiven of at the cross, and when that mercy begins to bubble up in your heart, not, and when you see this, I want you to understand, this isn't meant to make you feel bad. That's one of the dangers of the enemy is, oh, look at this. Shouldn't you feel bad that you've racked up this much debt and you couldn't even fit it all in one bucket? You had to get 150 buckets to illustrate how bad you were. This isn't meant to make you feel bad. It's meant to make you feel grateful. It's meant to cultivate in you a heart of gratitude that when you wake up, you, you, you don't, Paul says, Paul, Paul all throughout his epistles is reminding, remember where you came from, remember what you were like before. Don't live in it, don't go back to it, don't condemn yourself of it, you've been made new in Christ, but don't totally forget about it because when you remember what you've been forgiven of, it's gonna fill you up with gospel fuel that will allow you to live the life I've called you to live. And if you have someone you need to forgive and just haven't been able to do it, then the step I would encourage you to take today is not a three-step plan. It's not a, here's the text you should send. Here's how to format it. It's park yourself at the cross until your heart is overwhelmed with gratitude. 
And when you begin to understand the size of the debt you've been paid, when you leave the foot of the cross, I just don't think it's possible to go out and wring somebody's neck who owes you a hundred denarii. I think you just overflow with grace and mercy. And I want that for you. I want healthy, meaningful, biblical relationships for you. But in a world full of broken people, the only way we will be able to do that is if we understand and navigate conflict and have the ability to offer forgiveness. And if so, we will sharpen each other. We will not abandon each other. And that's God's plan for us. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.